You can be seated. This is our time to give our attention to the words of God. If you've got a Bible and want to track with this, it's the back end of the first chapter of your Bible, Genesis 1. I will also have the key phrases of Scripture, the words themselves, up on this screen. My words are useless in as far as they do not come in line with and under and capture the meaning of the truth of the spirit of these words. So we're hearing a human being, a pastor in the life of our church speak, but we do believe that Jesus in his grace speaks through his servants to us as they stay closely connected to his words to us. So that's what we get to do together now that we might be shaped by it. We are preaching on the doctrine of man. We're anchored in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. Here's what we said last week. This was the big idea of what we're trying to do. Believe that God's highest glory, the thing for which everything was created, the glory of God, His highest glory, and your deepest joy, your deepest possible joy, His highest glory, your deepest joy, these things intersect. They come together when we say yes to who He has made us to be. When we say yes to who he made us to be in creation, and also yes to who he calls us to be in redemption. His glory, our joy, it's at that place, not where we set off on our own defining of ourselves, but where we say yes to who he has made us to be. In other words, we are asking the question, who does Jesus say I am? Who does Jesus say I am? And then by faith, we are answering that question Well, whatever he says, I am all in. Okay, last week my aim was to bring you low, low. That was my aim last week. And we began in the beginning, and we said, in the beginning, it wasn't you, and it wasn't me, and it wasn't man, even though we're doing the doctrine of man. In the beginning, it was God. In the beginning, God. And we said that you will never understand who you are until you start to think huge thoughts about who God is and very, very small thoughts about who you are. As you do that, then you find your dignity. Okay, so now that you being brought low is established and you came back to keep listening, it is now safe to welcome you into the complementary truth to that one. That although as men in women, there is a sense in which we are nothing compared to God, and that we are at his command in all things, and that he is like a potter and we are like clay. We are also of crazy, wild dignity and value and worth. Hear these words of scripture. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. All right, let's pray. Father, if you don't visit us in your grace, we're just dead. We are wasting our time. But you promised to. You taught us that your word is living and active and sharp. And it accomplishes what you sent it for. That's why we come back over and over and over again to gather as your people to hear the word of God preached that it might do its sharp and awesome work in our souls. So I I don't know who's here, who's listening, where we're at. You know what we need. You know who needs to be brought low. You know who needs to be encouraged and raised up. I pray that you would do that work through your word, that we might learn who you are and say yes to it. Thanks for inviting us into this. We pray in your son's name because of his life and his death and his resurrection. We pray. Amen. Okay, let me start here. I got a good friend named Jeff. He lives in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Did you know this was a city? I mean, of all the town names you could come up with, let's call it Sandwich. Sandwich, Massachusetts. Here is Jeff's job. 
He is a home inspector. You know what that is? This is somebody with a special skill to go and look at homes for people who are thinking of buying or selling them and be able to say to them, this is about the value of this home. This is about what this home is worth. Because he's a home inspector, he does it all year round. He sees tons of different kinds of houses. Sometimes he sees the junk that is out there. And there's a lot of junk on the housing market, right? You know that there are houses where there's no fuel or gas. It's just electric everything throughout the whole house. Electric, heat, electric, all of it is run on electricity. Uh, When Grace and I were trying to find a home to be planted in this area to love and serve you guys and plant this church, we went to one where they put the bathroom off the kitchen and that was the only bathroom in the house. So everyone in the family had to walk downstairs through the kitchen to the bathroom, take a shower, stink it up, either or, and then walk right back through the kitchen, back upstairs, whether there were guests or not. We also looked at a house that had a giant beam struck through the foundation of the house, and I remember the owner just standing there with a smile like that was no big deal. A couple of these houses looked like they were on-scene CSI shoots, the inside of those houses where they find those people. So there's some houses out there that are junk. Sometimes, because it's the Cape, Jeff sees houses that are serious, like very, very valuable. So there's different reasons for that, but you can imagine beautiful entrances, three-car garages, big yards with swings, multiple bedrooms, multiple bathrooms, a beautiful rec room with a bar. But Sometimes there is this singular quality to a house that Jeff will go see, and he knows that he is about to go see a house that has unrivaled value on the Cape. Do you know what that singular quality is that puts this house apart from all the other houses that he might look at? Waterfront. Sometimes he goes to assess, inspect a house on the Cape, and it is on the waterfront, the northern side of Brewster, the southern side of Orleans, you know those fingers that run down there in Falmouth? When he goes to a house that is marked with oceanfront or waterfront, he knows that he's dealing with a completely different situation of any house that he has looked like. In fact, do you know what Trulia is? If you pull up Trulia, it's a website, and then it pops all these little bubbles around all the houses that you're looking at and tells you this is about the market value of this house. If you Trulia the Cape, all the houses on the interior have differentiating values. But what happens when you look at the bubbles that pop out on the waterfront? What gets added to the back end of those numbers? Zeros, right? And there is only one difference. Something is driving the value of that home there up in comparison to all of the others. Okay, here's our big idea from Genesis 1 so that you don't miss it, so you know where I'm going, and then you can follow me there. If you mapped out everything in creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, mountain ranges, oceans, all of it, animals, all of them, Thoroughbred horses, dogs, cats, goldfish, any other created thing, anything, and you mapped it up on Trulia, there would be one type of creature who would have zeros racing to the end of its number in comparison with all the others, and that created thing is man, male and female. Men and women have a singular quality that no other created thing possesses. We call that the imago Dei. That's just funky Latin for the image of God. Okay, that's where we're going to go today. I'm going to work the text. We're going to do our inspection of the text, and we're going to see this to be true. Remember how we do this? We go to the words of Scripture. We pull out truth or doctrine from the words of Scripture. Then we think deeply on the implications of these things being true according to the words of God. So let's summarize where we are at this point, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day and night, speaking to the light to exist, boom, it existed. Light come, and it came. Expanse in the midst of the waters, and a separation, earth from sea, boom. Earth, bring forth vegetation, plants, trees, exploding up. Bring forth animals, and there's an order to that, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, then the animals that crawl on the land. We have seen God doing this, creating, boom, by his word, creating, boom, by his word, day after day after day. Now we are about to get to the height, to the pinnacle, to the apex, to the crescendo of God's creative work. And we're going to make five observations from the text together. I'll put them up here, okay? So here we go. Number one is this. Man is created last. Man, men and women, male and female, man is created last. Here's the text of Scripture. This creation happens and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day and God is done. On the seventh he rests. So whatever happens here is at the height. Man is created last. In other words, what? God has saved the best for last. You know how this works, right? So there's so many illustrations that I could give you for this. Crazy Christmas Eve with Grace's family, how does that work? So the night starts late, then you eat like crazy, then you do whatever book reading you were going to do or conversations you were going to have, and the night's going on, and now it's about 1045, and then what comes at the very end of the night? It's the thing that all the kids have been pulling on your leg about since the beginning of the night. Finally, at the end of the night, you open the presents. What did you just do? You save the best for last. Do you feel that? How about a wedding? Have you been to a wedding recently? So in the wedding procession, who comes in first? The ugly guy, right? The groom comes in with the pastor. It's like the two ugliest possible people. Just get them up first, all right? Just go in the back and wait. And the groomsmen. Then what happens? Music plays. Grandparents, you honor them. Mother of the bride, you honor her. The little kids wandering in circles with the ring and the flowers, then the bridesmaids and the maid of honor. But then what happens at the end? The doors shut. Everyone stands. The music changes. When those doors open, who comes last? It's the bride. She's the point of the day. You save the best for last. You get this from concerts, right? Have you ever gone to a concert and have the A-lister come out first? Has anyone ever seen that happen before? No. So Lecrae is playing at the House of Blues this month, right? He's not going on at 8.05, trust me. Alex Medina and some other scrub rappers will start the night off, but what happens at about 10.30? Now the person that you came to see comes. Some of you get this because you are fashionably late people. Do you know what that is? You totally get this to be true. In your vanity... You have mastered the art of being the last one to arrive at the party for dinner at church. What's that? I'm best. I don't got to be there on time. We're saving the best for last. When I arrive, the party can actually begin. Okay, minus the vanity, that's what you need to feel in this text of Scripture. Everything else in creation was driving to this point. What's that tell you? Whatever comes next is of the highest value, of the highest esteem. Okay, second observation in the text. Man is created deliberately and personally. So please feel this with me. Up to this point, the narrative has been moving right along. God said, let there be, and it was. God said, let there be, and it was. So what are you expecting in the creation of man, male and female? And God said, let there be man, and there was man. And God said, let there be woman, and there was woman. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you actually get in the text? Everything slows down. Here's what we see. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. 
Okay, do you feel this? This is different than all the other creative acts where God just said, and it was. Here, what does he do? He pauses. Here he takes counsel of some sort. He's not speaking out there. He's he's pausing to speak in here. Now people fight about what the deliberation is in here. Let us make man. Does this mean God and like his court of angels? Is he speaking like an imperial king and saying, okay, everybody, we're going to get together and do this? I don't think that's it. Some say this is just God's way of deliberating, like, okay, I'm going to think on this. We're going to give this some time. Give us a minute. Give us a minute. I don't think that's what this is. You will see in Genesis and other places when God deliberates, he is not afraid to reveal that to us by saying, I, I. The best we can understand this plural construct of God, Elohim, in the older covenant is that it's getting us ready for what we know to be the Trinitarian reality of God. Let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have been creating all things together, Jesus the Word, the Spirit hovering over the creation, and God commanding, hold on, hold on, let us make man. This is God acting as a trinity. Here we go. Last one. Let's do this awesome. Let's do this right. You ready for this? This is the height of our creation. Here we go. What does that tell you about the value, the dignity of this creature, of men and of women? We see this not just in God's deliberation, his slowing down at this point, but in the actual act of creation. He does not merely use words for this creation. We'll see this in chapter 2. God uses his hands. Okay, and in Scripture, we'll talk about God as having hands and emotions and those kind of things. He uses his hands. Then the Lord God formed the man, how? Of the dirt of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Can you feel the intimacy in there? Can you feel God being involved in a different way in the creation of this man? And the woman similarly, God taking a rib from the man and handcrafting the female. So don't miss the humility in there. I'll keep reminding you of this. We're nothing but dirt, right? Wholly dependent upon God's grace and power and spirit to even animate us. We're creatures. But don't miss the dignity in there. You know the difference between a picture that was bought for you and a picture that was handmade for you. When I came back from my 10, 12 days in Tanzania, I was walking up the steps after 30 plus hours of traveling and like three hours in customs. Oof, I was ready to get home. When I got home, there was a poster on the door that had been handmade by my two daughters. What is that? There are affections there. There is personal connection there. There is love, purposefulness, deliberation, time, intimacy. Do you feel all that about something that was handmade? That's them saying to me, Dad, you are special. You are special. That's the same thing here. God pauses and he invests himself in a different way in the creation of man. All right, third observation Man is created in the image of God. As you read through the other creatures, what does it say about each of them, the living creatures? They were created according to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind. But not man. What does it say about man? It says, man was created according to the likeness or the image of God. This is by far the most important feature of Genesis 1 right here. The actual statement that man is in God's image. Here's the poetry. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we'll do the male and female part next week. But this week, do you feel it? Double barrel coming at you. Men and women bear the image of God. 
Men and women bear the image of God. Man alone, alone, is made in the image of God. Now, six kabillion words have been written about what image of God actually means. Um, Image and likeness, those are two distinct words, but they're supposed to be paired together. What it means to be made in the image of God or to bear the likeness of God. Uh, The big point is that um, there's a resembling. There's a reflecting. There's a being closely patterned after. There's striking similarities to That man is in the image of God means that man is a whole person, both physically and spiritually. In some sense, he is like his maker. I mean, the closest thing we have to this is children with their parents, right? So like I'm looking right at Christian and Aiden, and I see their mom, and I look at their mom, and I see them. There's a shared image in there. I see Julia and Grace. It's like just separated by 25 years. There's a resemblance. There's a similarity. There's a sharedness. This is what humanity is like with God. With God. Everybody argues about what this means in detail. I love this. Everyone tends to say that image of God means whatever it is that they are into, whatever their thing is, that's what the image of God means. So if you talk to a talker like me or a writer what are they going to tell you that the image of God means? It's our capacity to use words and language. If you talk with a mom, what might be the first place that they race to having carried and given birth to a child? It's, it's mankind's ability to give life. If you talk to a lawyer, what are they going to tell you the image of God really means? That we have this sense of justice unlike any other creature's. If you talk to an artist or a craftsman, what might they tell you? It's our creative capacity that mirrors and images God. If you talk to an intellectual brainiac, what will they tell you? It's our ability to think. If you talk to a philosopher, what will they tell you? It's our capacity to reason and to use logic. If you talk to a theologian, what are they going to tell you? It's our ability to differentiate between good and evil, to have a knowledge of God, to have a self-conscious awareness. I could keep going. You could read all the books and all the theses. You know what I say to all of that, to all of it? I say, put it all in a big bucket, and I'll take it all. You're all right. Yes, lawyer. Yes, mom. Yes, intellectual. Yes, writer. We are unlike any other created thing in all of these ways because we are like our maker. Arguing about this would be like arguing with me about why Boston is the greatest city on the planet. One person would go, it's the schools. And what would I say? Then somebody else would go, no way, man, it's the history, the revolutionary history, the literary history. And what would I say? Somebody else might say, it's the neighborhoods, North End, South End. It's the sports teams. It's the seasons. All right, we might pause there for a breath and then go, no, seriously, four seasons. It's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. You could run the list down, and I'll just be nodding my head and saying, yes, you are all right. To that I say, all of it. So while the Bible, especially the Older Covenant for sure, does not explicate for us exactly what image of God entails, don't miss the big idea. This creature, these creatures, men and women, are unlike the ones that have come before them in creation. That's the big idea. Man is utterly other than animals and inanimate objects. No rock, no tree, no forest, no sun, no animal has a soul. No animal is aware of sin. No animal can love God with all that they have consciously and purposefully. Man alone has the witness of his conscience and his soul. I love how Augustine says it. He says, at the very least, we know that being created in the image of God means that we were made for God. 
we alone are able to know him and to be known by him and to image him or bear his likeness or reflect his glory, his character, his love, his goodness across the rest of creation. We alone have the capacity to do that consciously and purposefully. We alone. Okay, that leads us to a third observation from the text. It's this one. Man, or all the rest of creation, is subordinate to man. All the rest of creation is subordinate to man. This is an implication of the Imago Dei on you. It comes out in these kinds of words from Scripture. Okay, I've created these creatures in my image. Let these creatures have dominion. We read that together. It comes out in language like this. Okay, creatures in my image, you be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's charge to you, culture makers, home builders, engineers, artists. This is God's charge on you in the image of God. You get to go and rule creation. Do you feel the weight, the glory of being a woman, of being a man? The earth is yours. You are viceroys. And by that, I do not mean those creepy-looking creatures from Star Wars. Do you know what a, a viceroy is? It's, it's a servant to a great king who is told, rule in my place. Under shepherds, given the right and the command to run this place really well. 1500s, John Calvin says it like this. The sun was not made for itself. The trees, the earth, which produces food for us, all of that works for man. The animals, though they move and have some feeling, do not for all of that glory have this high capacity to understand what belongs to God. For they do not discriminate between good and evil. And so we also see that their life and death are meant for men's use and service. That's the implication of the doctrine of man in man being at the top. Psalmist in Psalm 8 by faith says it like this. When I look into your heavens and the work of your fingers, the sun, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, and then he says this, what in the world is man that you are mindful of him? It's possible that this doctrine is true. This can't be true. The stars compared to a person like me. And then by faith, he says this, and yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, angels, and you have crowned man with, hear these words this morning, with what? Glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands, You have put all things under his feet. Okay, those are not words of pride, arrogance, vanity. No, 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 no. Those are words of faith, and those are words of wonder. It is not pride to stand up tall as men and women and say yes to who Jesus says that you are. You are image bearers of the living God. There is nothing like you in all of creation. There is nothing like you in all of creation. There is nothing like you in all of creation. To drive this home, this is our last observation. In the creation story, man alone is explicitly blessed. Okay? Here's the text. And God blessed them. Who's the them? The man and the woman. Okay, if you miss this, you miss the joy that's in this text. I'm short of breath right now because I am looking at image bearers of God. That's supposed to be heavy, but it's also supposed to be amazingly joyful. It is a good thing to be alive 
It is a good thing to draw breath as a man or as a woman. Human life is precious because it is a blessed gift from God that we are here, that I exist, that you exist, to make his glory known. To be alive, a self-conscious man or woman, is, is the greatest news that there is. And God says so. I bless you. I bless you. Okay, so here's the big idea of this sermon. Men and women possess inherent, that means it's in our creative reality, it's inherent, and unrivaled dignity. Men and women possess inherent and unrivaled dignity. That's the testimony of Scripture. Who does Jesus say that I am? I am a loved, blessed, unique, superior, responsible image bearer of the triune God. Okay, so that's the doctrine of the Imago Dei. Now, here's your opportunity that God has chosen to give you his image and life and breath in 2015 in Boston with me. Here's our opportunity to believe this thing in a culture that that doesn't quite believe it. So you know that when you walk out of the doors, your sinful nature and the world that we live in, we are preached at incessantly that the exact opposite of everything that I just said to you is what's true. There is no God. There is no image of God. And so men and women are nothing special at all. They're just animals that are a little bit evolved. And human life is not really special or precious at all. This is the dogma that comes to us. It's very important in this series that I keep pointing out to you how in our sin, we don't kind of come close to the truth of God. We invert it and flip it 180 degrees and live from the exact opposite. I want to make this explicitly clear for you this morning so that you don't miss it. So, for example, let's put a couple of these up here. So everything that I've said, this doctrine of the Imago Dei, how does our world think about man and animals, especially in the last 10, 15 years? Man on one side, that's the Bible word for men and women together, animals on the other. So here's what I know that you've seen and heard. Here we go. He's an electrician. He's getting, he's, getting, he's getting a call to do business over there. Our culture more and more preaches to you what? That man is equal to or less than animals. Animals are more important than man or there's no real difference here. Okay, so some of these are extreme examples. Some are just, just common things that we just assume and think. But we had a girl in our church, Danielle Mira. Anybody remember her? She went to Salem State University in her sociology class. They did a fake philosophical thing for a case study. Some of you may have been run through this as well. They said, Danielle, you're in a life raft. It's you and your mother, your father, your sister, your grandmother, and a cat. And the life raft now can only stay afloat if something or someone goes overboard. Who goes overboard? And then for two hours, her professor lectured her on, how dare you say the cat? That is speciesism. Why would you ever say that a man or a woman has more value than an animal? Where are you getting this from? Who says that that is true? Like shook Danielle to her core in this class. What is that? There's no difference between men and animals. You saw the rich lady who kept her inheritance back from her son and gave it to her dog. Did anybody read about that one? Okay, so what does our face do? It chuckles, right? Is that funny? What is she tacitly doing in there? She's saying, yeah, my son created in the image of God, an animal. There's no real difference. Uh, I was listening to a preacher preach on Genesis 1, ironically. This was his text. And at the beginning of the sermon, he was introducing himself, and he was like, here's who I am, and I've got whatever kids. And then he said, "Um, and I'm done. And then he said, if I need companionship, I'm going to get a dog. And then everybody in the crowd laughed. And I was grieved by that, even in joking. Because 
what is he kind of insinuating? Even before preaching on the doctrine of man, yeah, you could sort of kind of almost replace a child with an animal. Now, would he get up and preach that doctrine boldly? No. But even, I hope, but even tacitly, what was he saying? Man is equal to, and then in extreme cases, not even worth as much as animals. Okay, what does Scripture teach us? Right here. Man is greater than animals. I'll say it to you like this. I coached rec league basketball this year, 7th and 8th grade. There was one boy on our team, Ryan, extremely autistic, extremely autistic. So nonverbal, he would scream or he would grunt when he got excited about something, but he, he couldn't stay on the court. His mom had to stay right by him. Ryan is not going to be a high-functioning citizen of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, Ryan is severely autistic. I've got Ryan. I don't care on this side if you give me the most beautiful, most gorgeous, most valuable animal that has ever existed in the history of the earth. What would it be? What is just the most wonderful, majestic animal? A thoroughbred horse? Something like that? Secretariat? Shadow facts? Whatever it might be. 10,000 secretariats. 10,000 shadow faxes do not come anywhere near the dignity or the value of Ryan. He's made in the image of God. As you live your life, remember this. As you read the news, as you're in conversation, remember this. To the glory of God, man is greater than animals. And we've got it upside down. Okay, how about this one? Man and the environment... Okay, so what do we say nowadays? Where do we put the mathematical symbol? Am I freaking anybody out with math symbols here? Okay. The environment is much more important than human life or certain human lives. So here's an extreme example. Jonathan Parrott, Parrott, he chairs the government's Sustainable Development Commission. I want those tax dollars back. Here's what he said. Couples who have more than two children are being irresponsible by creating an unbearable burden on the environment, curbing population growth through contraception and abortion must be at the heart of policies to fight global warming. Political leaders and green campaigners must stop dodging the issue of environmental harm caused by an expanding population. You can go look that up in the New York Times if you want. So that is not only atrocious and terrible science, that is wicked public policy. What is he saying? We will murder babies. We will murder newly born babies because they may be causing harm to the environment. Okay, now if you had a chance to talk with Jonathan, what would you say? I hope you would say, no, 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 Jonathan. We don't belong to the earth. The earth belongs to us. God has given us charge over the earth. And so, yes, we are called to be good stewards of the earth. But one human life is worth more than a thousand rainforests. Are you tracking with me? One human life is worth more than a 10-degree jump in the climate. Not that that's happening anyway, but it would be worth it. We are not second to or in service of the earth. The earth is second to and in service of us. By faith, the whole Bible says, be good stewards, but the earth is yours. Plant gardens, build houses, be a great steward of this. Treat it well, make it beautiful, but don't take human life for it. What do pagan religions do? What do they do? They murder people. They human sacrifice for whose benefit? Earthy things, mountains, stars, rain, the sun. No, no, no. Never do we sacrifice human life for anything, including the sun, the moon, the stars, or the earth. All right, how about this one? Life and death. Life and death. So you know the sign that goes up in our day, right? 
culture of death, we call it, very often in many places, death is preferred to life. The clear testimony of Scripture from beginning to end is what? That it is an awful, terrible, horrible, wicked thing to end innocent human life. Murder is an unspeakable evil. Why? Because living, breathing men and women who bear the image of God, if you attack a man, if you attack a woman, who are you attacking? You're attacking the one whose image they bear. This is why this is horrible. So this doctrine needs to be flipped. Life is always better than death. Life is always better than death. Now this applies to all forms of innocent human life taking, right? So what, what do you say to a woman who is about to walk into a Planned Parenthood where she will be counseled to end the life of the image-bearing child in her womb? What do you say? You say, please stop and talk with me, please. When you go in there, you're going to be told that death is better than life, that the baby is better off dead, that you are better off with the baby dead, but it's not true. That baby bears the image of God. He has seen fit to fuse a body and a soul inside of you. Choose life, image-bearing life. What do you say to Brittany Maynard? You know who that was? She was the young woman in California who was diagnosed with vicious, aggressive, intense terminal brain cancer. What she did was she went up to Oregon where they have assisted suicide laws and she took her life at the age of 29. What do you say to Brittany if you had time to give pastoral counsel to her? You say, no, 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 my friend. I am so sorry. And I know that you are struggling and intimidated by what lies ahead. This is an awful thing. And it seems to you like death is better than life, that the more humane thing to do is to end a living, breathing life and to prefer death. But the image of God is on you, Brittany. The image of God is on you. You are, even with cancer, of inherent, inherent and unrivaled dignity. The answer right here is not to cut that image down. Will you sit with me and talk about cancer and talk about sin and talk about our bodies and talk about grace and talk about the gospel and talk about the heaven that awaits you that you will step into and cancer will be no more. But please, please, don't choose death over life. The image of God is on life. What would you have said to Jokar Sarnayev if you were in college with him or in his neighborhood in Cambridge with his brother as they were preparing that bomb to plant it at the end of that marathon and to just indiscriminately murder as many of our Bostonians as they could? What would you have said to them in that room? What do you say? It's my opinion. I would prefer that you didn't. Most people don't think this is right. Say, Jokar, this is a word from the living God, don't do this. You cannot drop a dirty bomb in a crowd of men and women and children. Those people bear inherent and unrivaled dignity. Attacking them is attacking God. See how practical this doctrine actually is in our day. Okay, one more, last one. How about this? Some lives, all lives. How does the doctrine of the Imago Dei intersect with this? So you know how our day rolls, right? Some lives are definitely worth more than others. This is an abortion conversation, but you also feel this one coming more and more with handicapped children who are born or older folks who are near death and are very ill. We place mathematical statistic calculations on the value of their lives. Embedded in today's text is this beautiful truth right here. Some lives, all lives, 
every life is equal. Men and women, all of them ever equally bear the image of God. Every life is precious. Male life and female life. Brilliant life, simple life, autistic life. Healthy life, sick life. Unborn life, almost dead life. Black life, white life, Jewish life, German life, Muslim life, Christian life, atheist life, all life, every life bears the image of God and is of inherent and unrivaled dignity. Anytime we come across someone saying, this life, that life, this stage of life has more worth or more value than the other, as Christians we say, no way, no way. This week I read The Book Thief. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a beautiful, newish book, a fictional story about the Holocaust and about that horrible time in human history when the Nazis were looking at Jews because of their ethnicity and saying, that life is not as valuable as our life. And this book actually brings you to tears multiple times as you see what it looks like for someone, and I don't know if this author is a, is a, is a Christian or not, but that someone would say yes to who God has made us to be as men and women, all of us bearing the image of God and taking action toward that end. We get to be called to this as a church in our day. All right, so let me put this question up on the screen, and this is what I want you to think about this week as you reflect today, as you do gospel community. What does a church who boldly says yes to the Imago Dei feel like? What would that feel like? What would that kind of a gospel culture entail? So maybe my list was like 50 long. Refuse abortion, for sure. We've talked about that before. How about eat steak? I held off on doing vegetarian talk this morning out of love for some of you. Uh, It's fine to be a vegetarian, but don't ever look down on someone with moral superiority as if you are more humane because you don't eat animals? No. God has given us animals for our use, including pig roasts. It's a confession of faith. On the other side, how about this? Own a pet and care for it really, really well. That's embracing the image of God, isn't it? Yeah, totally. How about this? Avoid video games and movies that glorify death. So some of you have repentance to do right there, right? Like if you actually purchased Kill Bill or Kill Bill Volume 2 with Jesus' money. How about fight sex trafficking? Thank you, Brooke, for your work with Amira House, right? Anything that would say that these females are less than us males. How about have lots of babies? How about be happy whether or not those babies are male or female? How about be pumped if you're having twins? That's saying yes to this doctrine. How about this? Embrace people who are older and are dying. Can we spend some time on that one? That's probably a sermon in itself. What is the number one feeling of someone who has hit their 70s or 80s or 90s and they're falling apart and they're dying? What's what's the number one feeling? It's a loss of dignity, right? So you nurses, Jen, Suzanne, Christine, like thank you for your work. How amazing would it be for a church to have a culture where we say when members of our church or our family or people that we're connected to in the city are old and decrepit and dying and in pain and they smell bad and they can't think coherently, we we don't send them off to someone else to deal with them. We draw close to them. We hold them. We read scripture to them. We touch them. What are you doing in that moment? 
You're saying, I believe that all human life, while it's still breathing, is made in the image of God. And that's one way that we can embrace this doctrine to be true. Ultimately, the big call is to treat every single person who is other than you with dignity and with respect. Pastor James says this so beautifully. He's writing in his letter to Christians like us, and he says, hey, inside of your mouth is a vicious, vicious reality. It's your tongue. And then he gives an example about that, and he says, you know that with your very tongue, with the same mouth, you both praise God, your Father in heaven, but then you curse your brother or your sister, and then he attaches this on the end. He says, who is made in the likeness of God. So what is Pastor James saying there about gospel culture in the life of a church? The way that you speak to me and I speak to you, the way that you are disposed toward me and I am disposed toward you, the way that you love me and I love you, the way that you respect me and I respect you is tied down to the fact that you bear the image of God. You see another man, when you see another woman, when you hold a new life, when you're at a baseball game, when you're sitting at the train waiting and you see people, this should be heavy on you, it should be hopeful on you, it should be joyful on you. Men and women bear the image of God. Let's pray together and ask the Father to bring us faith to believe that and then power to live from that place. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. You have created us in your image and your likeness. This week, would you help us come to grips with that? Would you forgive us for every stance that we have taken against life, against the dignity of human life? Would you forgive us for our slanders and our neglect and our distance and our rejection and our gossip? Would you forgive us for all of that? Would you teach us what it means to be disposed to each other in love, in awe, because of who we are? Jesus, you declare to us that we are made in your image, and we receive that by faith this morning. Amen.